You pray with me. Heavenly Father, we uh, find it hard to appropriate such beautiful words as these, and yet we long to you so deeply. I pray that you would do a work through your Holy Spirit to, uh, to do in our hearts what is impossible for us to do in our own strength, which is to trust you, to see you, to know you, to believe in you, and to follow you. We know that you are able to do it, and we're grateful. In your name we pray, amen. This morning, I want to uh, address a subject <clears throat> which is a toughie, um, but so important, and, and actually it's discernment. Now you may think, I, I thought this pastor was about anxiety or something like that, and uh, we'll, oh, we'll get to that. I know you're all really uh, anxious about hearing about that subject. So, um, but it, it's actually something I want to address today, which, which is discernment. Um, some of us have been a, a part of an, uh, an exploration over the past couple of months about engaging with God. And, and uh, um, if you've been on that journey with us, you'll, maybe you'll have discussed a very interesting subject that was raised a couple of weeks ago, which is that it's impossible to know the difference between right and wrong. Well, it's impossible to know right from wrong. Now, let me explain that because you'll think that sounds very heretical. I'm not talking about like the Ten Commandments type of thing. I'm talking about should I have gone to that college or not? Should I have invested in that stock or not? Should we have moved from this location to that location or not? That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about should I commit adultery or not. <laughs> um, it's really hard to just simply know based on the facts whether you should or shouldn't have done something. Discernment comes through relationship, and that's the key thing I want to communicate today. That's the only way for a Christian to know anything is in the context of a relationship with God. It's almost impossible to know anything outside of that. In fact, it's not just with our relationship with the Lord. I mean, even in terms of human nature, you really can't know anything outside of a relationship. Our brains just can't do it. You, I mean, not kind of knowledge about life. Knowledge in your brain comes from uh, being around other people. Your brain just can't actually grow unless the eyes of the person are seeing other person's eyes or feeling other person's touch. Your brain will just shrivel and die and you won't, you won't survive. It's not actually possible to know anything outside of a relationship. And the quality of what you can know grows exponentially when the quality of your relationships is healthy. So if your, relational, if your relationships are bad, your capacity to know things well is inhibited. Conversely, if your relationships are strong, your capacity to know things well is also strong. Um, I mean, if we just start to kind of think about our own life's history, those of us that have a little bit of it, <laughs> we, we can kind of intuitively start to kind of gain some traction on this idea. I mean, when I graduated from seminary, my wife and I, uh, took a position somewhere um, that turned out to be really harmful. That's the way it felt. It still feels that way to me. Um, that experience of where we were was really hard. 
um, it was confusing, it was hurtful, um, and, I, and when I look back at that time, I've asked myself, should we have done that? Okay, now if I just try to figure that out on my own, it's nearly impossible for me to know the answer to that question. There was deep fruit that was born in that experience. Now, I try to think about how could I have got the fruit without having had that experience? That's what happens when I think about right and wrong. I should have never done that. God, man, all the pain I could have saved myself. I can't know. Do you know who knows whether that was right or wrong? I hope you get a, a healthy suspicion of these words now. Um, God knows. God knows our whole life is a complete. Did you know that? God, you know, I, some, sometimes we think about like, heaven is gonna be, at a certain point, boring. We all fear that, right? <laughs> We're gonna, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think heaven was gonna be, I'd, I'd walk into a room and I would literally, literally sit on a pile of Cheetos. <laughs> like, and I could just eat them. But eventually, you would, you would be like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that, you know? And eventually, you think there's gonna be some point in billions of years where you've done it all and you're bored. <laughs> you know, God... And, and you, you think, I, I've had very hard conversations with two people that I, I mentored just not able to grasp, not, not able to ever settle that there's any point in this life. I mean, if you think about, you know, 80 years on planet Earth versus billions of unending eternity years, this won't even, it's not even statistically ex significant. It's like we'd never even existed. And for two of my friends, this, this creates such despair that they can't actually get out of it. it it's not fathomable. Why is this life important? Why don't we just end it now? I mean, what was the whole point? Well, you know, God doesn't look at the world like that. He doesn't look at you like that because he's outside of time. He sees your life as a complete whole. I was, I was talking to my son Michael at his recent birthday and saying, you know, when I look at my son Michael, who's 16, I don't see him only today on his 16th birthday. I see him, because I'm his father, cumulatively. When I look at my son Michael, I see 16 years of Michael all at once. I see the day, in fact, before he was born, the joy of the whole experience and, and then the delight of his birth and all of the phases accumulate in me. So when I look at Michael, I don't see just Michael on his 16th birthday at the very end. I don't see just the tip of the spear. I see the whole spear. I see the whole meaningful, purposeful relationship, and that is deeply meaningful. And as much as it boggles our minds, that's how God looks at us. Complete, whole. That's why it's impossible to know. Did I do the right thing when I went to that place right after seminary? How could I possibly know that? Only God knows that. For those of you that know the story of Rahab, the prostitute in the Old Testament, she had one shining moment that we know of. She had tremendous courage when the spies of Israel came out to view the city and she, you know, courageously harbored them. She could because she was already kind of, you know, a lady of the night and, and, and she, could har she could harbor these spies and, and that was in part of God's design. I have no idea about anything else about Rahab other than that she was naughty, 
and she did this amazingly courageous thing that I could have never done myself, and she was celebrated for it, and she's actually in the lineage of Jesus. Could she have known? Can you know? Not outside of a relationship. You just can't. But God doesn't want us just to only be on our back heels and kind of think reflectively about life. He wants us actually to engage with him in the work of the kingdom. He wants you to be able to discern what he's calling you to do. I mean, I I love this odd phrase from our reading in, in Isaiah 28. Uh, chapter 21. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perazim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed. And to work his work, alien is his work. Can we know? Can we fathom the ways of God in our lives? Can we see the beginning from the end? Can we see the alpha from the omega? No. But God can. That's why knowing right and wrong like a solution to a problem will just always fail you because this is a discernment of following God. So the words that should be coming to our mind are not kind of like solutions to problems, but trust. How do I solve this problem? I'm going to figure it out. How do I have faith in what God is showing me? Two very different tracks. I've got to figure this thing out and fix what went wrong. I have to know what God is showing me about this situation. You can't do it without a gospel relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is sharing with his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, it's so gentle, do not be anxious about your life. He said, I have a much bigger vision. And isn't that the word that really goes with discernment, is vision? That's what leads a Christian, is God's sight. It's the vision of what he's doing. It's not the mathematical formula to a problem. It's not something you can just Google. And that's what Jesus is saying. My vision of you, disciples, is is so much more rich. It's so much more full. It's so much more loving and compassionate that you can... Here, let me tell you, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Do they not tell you something about the beauty of God's creation and the sustaining nature of it? Yes, the birds had to go out and pick up the seeds. They didn't just lay around. One of my favorite... Farside cartoons. You guys know Farside cartoons? They're really wild, oddball cartoons, and oddball people really like these cartoons. And they're always one panel. And uh, one of my absolute favorites is a picture of a bunch of chickens uh, just kind of flopping on the fence and laying on the ground and lying on the boulder. And the caption is, it's a boneless chicken farm. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, chickens just laying around. We're not called to be boneless chickens, right? Uh, We get that. You got to flap your wings. Um, We were at a, a, uh, we stayed over at a house in in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where the the woman had put up uh, 
hummingbird feeders. And it got so chaotically loud, I couldn't sit on the balcony. There were like, I counted 25 at one time, and it was just like, it was a, a little disconcerting. <laughs> and impossible to, to fathom how they could move that fast. Jesus said, look, I take care of them. Their food is there for them. They're doing what they were created to do and to be. And the same thing with the flowers. They flourish at just the right time. And, and, and yet they're transient. You as a person are part of a bigger, richer story. So even more is the provision of God available to us. And can we see that? Now, I guarantee you, if the disciples are a little bit like me, it's hard for me to really get that. I can read the words over and over again, and I need to read them over and over again, but it's hard to believe sometimes, particularly when, you know, we lose our job or our pay gets cut or we get a medical bill. I mean, it's not easy. And yet, and yet without, you know, we can try to figure it out, but what we really need is an encounter with Jesus Christ who says to us something about our situation that gives us that vision that provides assurance and clarity and discernment so that we're not just simply boneless chickens, <laughs> but actually we're moving out because that's the culmination of our passage is to seek first God's kingdom there's, there's a momentum. God wants, you to, God wants to say to his disciples, I want you to see something. I want you to step forward into something in this baggage of anxiety and fear that comes from trying to figure it out on your own is keeping you from flourishing in your life with me but also being a part of what I'm doing. And we can discern when we have God's sight. We can. We can know what to do when we are in relationship with him and actually so much more. It's remarkable in the, in the, in the, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, right? They were so disoriented and so turned around that they couldn't even, they did not know, right, who to show hospitality to. Is that right or should, you know, I mean, just think of it. Th th those of you that may know the story of, of how Peter went to, the gen to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, I mean, Jews just didn't do that. And if he had to sat down and just think about, is this right or wrong? No, I mean, God, do you, if, so those of you that know the story, I'm sorry, I should just read it, but there was this, this big, he had a vision of a sheet of insects falling out of the head. So if you don't know that story, that should pique your interest. Do you know there's a big sheet of insects in the Bible? Wow. I mean, he, he couldn't just figure it out. God had to show him something that, that these unclean things God was making clean. God's sight is relational. Peter was in prayer. And this relationship shapes our vision. So Jesus was in the process of a renewed vision for the people of Israel that would encompass the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people as well. He was renewing his plan for us. And so there comes a point when, when uh, the author to the, uh, to, the, the, to the Hebrews here, this letter to Hebrews, he has to kind of guide the congregation. Hebrews is kind of like a big sermon. Um, he has to guide his congregation to see there's a new vision occurring here. And he starts to allude to things that happened in Israel's past and show how they're starting to change 
so that God can do his new thing. You've not come to what maybe touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. That's an allusion to how the Torah was given at Mount Sinai when there was shaking of the mountain. But the author says, or the, the, the preacher here says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. There's a new vision that is being birthed in and through the people of God that's taking God's presence and moving it even closer in. So while the old covenant with the Jewish people and all of its remarkable nature was the Torah, God's instruction, God's way of living, God's instruction for worshiping him and knowing him and the, the, all of the, 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 the laws around sacrifice so that our sin would not separate us from God. All of that was revealed in the Old Testament and now God is saying about Jesus, I'm taking that Torah, that, that rule and, and reign of God and I'm taking it from here and I'm putting it in here. I'm, I'm putting it within you. That's the new covenant, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a tremendous vision. Jesus is a mediator of a new covenant and speaks better words. And because of that, we're able to join with him in kingdom ministry in a way that the Old Testament people could never have known as fully as they can now. That's a tremendous vision. God's Torah out here now being put in here because that's God's will, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a new vision. That's a kingdom vision. That's uh, the apex and fruition of a relational vision. Our quest is to know God like that. We are to abide in him like the branches abide in the vine. We're to not only look at God and worship him, we're to taste and see that he's good. We're to feed on him in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. We're to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. We're to have his mind in us. He will be our light. He will be our joy. He will be uh, the house in which we dwell. He says, if anyone knocks, I'll open the door and I will come into him and dwell with him and sup with him and he with me. That relational way of, growing, of, of being with God is the point. When we see him, when, when he returns, We'll behold his face, and we will know even as we are surely known, Paul says. It's what we were created for, and that relationship is what is eternal and was what's beautiful, and that's why we're here now, is to know him now and to be a part of that seeking the kingdom where the knowledge of God can cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the vision, and that's the framework for discernment, for knowing how it is that God is leading us on our life's journey. It's what gives us hope when we come up with the same obstacle again. We're like, oh, I, you know, I thought, I, I thought we got through that one, and all I did is another lap around the pool, and I got to the same spot. 
and you can start to despair, and yet we'll never despair because with Christ, there's always grace new for that day. That relationship is the source of discernment. That's how we know where the kingdom's moving. That's how we know, along with the letter to the Hebrews, how to show hospitality. The author to the letter in Hebrew says, we, we didn't know it, but we were entertaining angels even. And he says, there's a lot at stake in this discernment because the Hebrew says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. And this shaking indicates the removal of things that, uh, cannot be sh- uh, uh, that can be shaken in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Friends, for those of us that withdraw, that step outside of the relationship, do you realize the stakes? You are gonna be tremendously shaken. Tremendously shaken. There's no safe harbor outside of Christ. Not a single one. Now, we're tempted to step out of that relationship repeatedly. I know in this country, and I feel this way myself often, money seems to be that safe harbor. For some people, reputation is that safe harbor. House can burn to the ground, but if people think I'm okay on the outside, then I'm safe. Well, we know there is no safe harbor in any of these things. Our health, not a safe harbor. You know, and, and we get tripped up into that too. Our possessions, you know, our knowledge. Some of us may not be very wealthy, but boy, we know more than the next person. You know, that's our safe harbor. These are all houses that will burn to the ground, Jesus says. Those houses will collapse like a house of straw. There's only one safe harbor, and that's the relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's more than just a safe harbor. It's a city of flourishing. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God shows no mercy on those who reject the pathway that he's called us through Christ. And the reason is, is not because he's a meanie. It's because there is only one pathway to true and meaningful and rich life that God is bringing forth in the new world, and it's through him. So I'd like just to close with some recommendations for us on how to have this kind of godly discernment. First of all, we must invest ourselves in our relationship with God personally. We can't create a relationship with God. Here in his love, Paul says, not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us and gave himself for us. This isn't something that we earn. It's not something that we strive for to achieve. It's a gift that we've been given that we keep unwrapping over and over and over and over again. It's, it's an investment in which we invest ourselves over and over and over again because of the beauty and the return that it gives. That's what we're talking about here. The working out of our salvation you know, to use that, that expression, isn't a working for our salvation. It's letting the power of that salvation flourish within us as we worship the God who gave it to us.
That's what that means. So the more that we can express ourselves, I mean, to be very practical about it, use your mouth to express your gratitude. That's what the author of Hebrews says in verse 28 of chapter 12, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. Be grateful. Say it with your mouth, that, that really helps. Say it with your body. I'm so grateful. You know, that's a great thing about finding a private space, you know, a prayer closet, because you can do things there that you won't do anywhere else. <laughs> I'm so happy. It may feel silly, friends, but kindling something inside of you for Christ is one of the most important things that you can possibly do in your life. It's like date night or whatever the equivalent is in your, in your marriage. Or it's, it's the way that you take, I know, I don't, you're, everybody's struggling. I don't have date nights either. It's just an expression. <laughs> Look, I don't have date nights. I know, but it, it just came to my head. <laughs> but nonetheless, you do something. You try to invest something in that relationship or with your children, you know, or, or your parents. You, you do things that celebrate the essence of that relationship. Or, or a good friendship. There are just all kinds of things that you can do. My, my daughter downloaded this app called Marco Polo on, onto my phone. I, Steve Engstrom and social media are way on the opposite sides of the spectrum. I, I, I have a hard time kind of embracing it. But Marco Polo is this thing where you videotape yourself having a monologue, well, they call it a dialogue, but it's not real. You're talking to somebody else, and then you send that video to them, and then they, and then they respond. I, don't, I think that's a dialogue, but I'm not entirely sure. But I have to videotape myself. Talk. So when you, when you put this app on your phone, uh, it tells everybody else who's got that app that you've just got that app. So all of a sudden, I've got a video from people that I've got to, now I've got to figure out what to do with that. <laughs> they're talking to me, and they're saying things to me, and i like, okay. So uh, somebody videotaped me, and... Uh, Two months later, I videotaped my response to them. It took me that long to kind of work up the courage to, to do that. Uh, shows you how remedial I am. But I love this person, and, and, and I, I, it's kind of clunky, but, but, but I'm getting into the, the swing of it, you know, because I want that relationship to flourish. It's odd, and eventually I'll get back to doing things the old-fashioned way, which is using my cell phone um, to talk. Uh, or to get on a plane. But um, what are you doing to invest yourself? It doesn't have to be pretty, just like with Marco Polo and my friend. Just, just get started investing yourself in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Sing to him. Repeat words of scripture to him. I, I love doing that. I think you can see that even in my sermon. I love quoting scripture that is meaningful to me and to him. That's, you've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's your heart. And in fact, that's what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, there where will your heart be. Luke 12, uh, 34. Where is your treasure? Is your treasure in Jesus Christ? Is your treasure in his vision? Do you know what that vision is? Is your treasure in that new world? Have you made the investment on the other side? Have you started your building plan for the house that God is building for you? 
What would you like it to be like? Have you told Jesus? You know, uh, you, you told me that you got this dwelling thing going on up there. You're building something. So I just want to share with you, <laughs> you know, some nice ideas. I, I, I don't want plastic ivy over the hearth, for example. You can say that, you know, things like that. <laughs> share with him. Know him. Be grateful for your salvation. Okay, number one. Number two, repent. Repentance, it, there is no pathway to salvation without repentance. It does not exist. Repentance is the way forward first, and it continues to be the way forward. Repentance is just acknowledging a lot. Sometimes repentance is acknowledging specific things that we've done. Repentance is acknowledging that, as the Anglican prayer book says, there is no health in me. Now, this isn't saying that you're not a special person. It's just saying that on our own, we are not enough. On our own, we fall short. On our own, we make mistakes. On our own, we succumb to all of our bad habits. All of that is a definition of sin. And repentance is simply the quick acknowledgement of that so that the health and forgiveness and restoration and joy of the Lord can flood us all that much more quickly. You know, there's a reason in our Sunday liturgy that right after we uh, confess our sins, we share the peace. You know, what we're sharing is the fact that in Christ, there has been reconciliation with him and with each other. Repent and repent quickly. Be self-aware. Don't give in to that old vision. Know when you're doing it. Be hard on yourself with respect to why you're doing what you're doing. Are you self-justifying? Are you trying to, you know, ex kind of cover your shame by explaining why you were doing something and why it wasn't so bad? I mean, get quick with yourself. Start to understand your tricks. You know what I mean? Try not to, you know, try to just accept that we're sinful and that we make mistakes and that we do bad things and repent and be restored. We make it much harder than it is. Thirdly, listen. See. Um, the birds of the field, I, I was talking with Mike Val who... Mike, I mean, you never cease to amaze me with your expertise in, in all kinds of things. And, and I did not realize you were a bird expert, among other things. And, and well, he's shaking his head, but com compared to most of us, <laughs> you're, I mean, you know more than five birds. For, for most Americans, that's already like them. <laughs> we know 30 car names, but, you know, we know maybe five bird names. Um, he pointed me out to a book by John Stott, a, a very well-known and, and wonderful evangelist who's deceased now, but he, John Stott wrote a whole book of pictures that he had taken of hundreds of birds, and he wrote chapters on what he's learned by watching the birds, and it is so amazing, so delightful. He just slowed down, and it's a tender and lovely book. And just reading it in the spirit of it just taught me how, you know, how much I can slow down and how much I don't slow down. Are you listening and are you looking to see and hear what God is sharing with you about that thing, that pain, that hurt, 
that desire, that dream, that anxiety, that decision you need to make. That's why repentance is important because now you're, you're open. You know that the relationship is okay. You're not harboring secrets. You, you, you're not harboring unconfessed anxieties and fears. You're not keeping your anger only to yourself. And you cannot make decisions when you have those feelings. You make terrible decisions when you're angry. You make awful decisions when you're under pressure and anxious. And then lastly, obey. This is a hard part. Because when we're new at this, and I'm new at this, all right, when we discern, there comes a moment when we have to obey. That stranger standing outside the door, we have to open it. You know, there's a moment when we seek the kingdom and then we see it. Like that man that discovers that treasure in the field, the parable that Jesus taught, that man sells everything he has to buy that field. He saw it and then he obeyed. Express and experience your love for God. Repent of your sin. Listen and look. And when you hear and you see, obey. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. It takes other people to do that. I could preach a whole sermon on that. We're in this together. These words to G- of Jesus are to the disciples, plural. The letter to the Hebrews is to the church of that congregation. Isaiah was speaking to Israel. We are not islands. We are doing this together as a body as well. And it's one of the wonderful things about following a sermon with the joy of the table uh, is that we can feed on Christ. We can taste him. And we can do it together as the body of Christ. And let that work on us today. God's got a vision for you and he's got a vision for me. And I'm sure he's talking to us even now about how it is that he wants us to experience him to be the most magnificent vision of all. Amen.